Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to From the Kitchen Table. I'm Sean Duffy, along with my co-host for the podcast, my partner in life and my wife, Rachel Campos Duffy. So great to be back. We've got Avita with us here today because we're talking about the economy, which is a big deal right now, especially coming into this election year, but specifically how it relates to Gen Z. And so there's been some really interesting polling that's come out, Sean and Avita. And that is that what was once considered the middle class making between, um, let's see, the number here they said, making between 74 thousand five hundred and a hundred and fourteen thousand was considered middle class. And now a lot of Gen Zers are saying, hey, we're making that much. We don't feel middle class. This is not enough money because everything is so much more expensive. We have an average of thirty thousand dollars in student loans. We're not able to make it. And there's a little bit of a debate about that. There's no question that things are more expensive and that it's harder to make ends meet. But is it that all that, or is it that these young people, and this is what Stephen Moore said to me last night when I was hosting on Jesse, he says a little bit of it is that these young kids- Have high expectations. Yeah, much higher expectations than you and I did when we first so entered into the middle class. Before I go to let me just kind of lay out a couple uh, of numbers here. One, $174,000 not that long ago no, for no, us. $74,000. $74,000. $74,000 not that long ago for us is like well within the middle class. It was challenging when you have six kids, but completely doable. You could buy a house, groceries. Um, but the, a lot of these are single young kids. I know, we were, but we were married with, we were married with, with kids, five or six kids. And we, making did much, ha- little, we made half of that when no, we first started. Well, we first started. But at the, at, before we ran for Congress, it was just a tad bit more than that when I was a, when I was a DA. Um, but things have changed under Joe Biden. And just to put the numbers in perspective before we go to Abita, um, officially, the inflation, when you add it all up under Joe Biden, is 17%. So on average, prices have increased by 17%. Now you hear that, well, inflation has come down. It used to be up at you know 8%. Now it's down at 3% and changed. You said 17%. What's that? I thought you just said 17%. In total. Okay. So one year it was, we're pushing 8%. Another year we were at like 5%. Right. So it's right now it's down at like three, three, between 3 and 4%. Just to make this clear, prices still go up. 
you were up 8%, you're up, and we add another 5% to that. Now we're adding another another 3.5% inflation to all the inflation we've had before. So that equals 17%. I want to make a point on that though. Because if I go to the grocery store and I shop for our family, I would be delighted if my bill was only up 17%. Right. That would be fantastic. I feel like I'm paying twice as much, almost twice as much in groceries. There's no doubt in my mind that that's Than what case. we used to pay before Joe Biden was president. And so I, I know we're seeing the official numbers, but unofficially, I'd say it feels like it's a lot higher than 17%. And just you know, really quickly, the average family of four, um, on average, will be paying $15,000 more a year for the same goods and services they would have had under the Trump era. So right. way more money is going out of people's right. That's a lot of money. So I want to play this TikTok video uh, because this is what sparked the conversation that we had with Evita because Evita has been saying, hey, it's really tough. And we were a little bit like, well, because I mean, we remember making a lot less than you. But in your defense, Evita, here's what this guy posted on TikTok. Watch. Gen Z doesn't agree that $74,000 is middle class. No kidding, it's not even close. Check this out. If you take $74,000 for a Gen Z, or let's say they have a bachelor's degree and they're 25 years old. First of all, $74,000 is much higher than the average income. Most Gen Zers are probably making anywhere from 40 to 50, maybe 60, but let's use 74. The take home after taxes, 401k and health insurance is $4,300. The average college monthly payment on a loan is about 500 bucks. You're down to 3,800. Let's say this person is financially responsible, decides to split a two bedroom apartment in a medium-sized city like Orlando so that their payment is $1,200 a piece, $200 for utilities, so $1,400. Now, unless they're going to have Lucky Charms and peanut butter and jelly, their groceries are going to cost about $600 if they're trying to get chicken, beef, and some healthy stuff. You have a $400 car payment, $200 insurance, $150 for gas, $100 for a cell phone, leaves you with $950. This is no savings, investment, no emergency fund. Let's give them at least $300 to go on a couple dates or to hang out with their friends for the month so they can enjoy life a little bit. They're left with only $650. A bachelor's degree, 74K salary, you are splitting a two-bedroom apartment with a friend and only have $650 left a month. It would take you years to save up the $30,000 that you would need for a down payment on a house with the closing cost. But even if you could get that down payment saved, you would still need to make $120,000 a year to be considered for a $400,000 loan. The middle class, the goalpost has been moved from $70K to $120,000 in just the past two years. Okay, Evita, that that feels pretty true to you. Yeah, so I think that there is a real tendency among the the boomer generation. I'm so, not a boomer. I'm some, a Gen Xer. So, sometimes <laughs> boomers, Gen Xers are sometimes the same. Um, there's a tendency. Every, every time I do anything that's like annoying, especially as it relates to tech or I make a joke, all my kids go, okay, boomer. <laughs> I'm not a boomer. There is a boomer tendency to say Gen Z or they're lazy, they are entitled. And sometimes that's true. Uh, but at dad laid out the numbers really well. And you have grocery prices going up. You have uh, gas going up. You, rent is going up. It's interest, unattainable to get a house. I agree with that. Interest rates are through the roof. Yes. Young people are struggling to attain the American dream that Gen Xers had and that boomers had. Boomers, they could raise a family on one income. That's not possible now. I, I agree with that. That's not, that's not, that's not a thing anymore. And so I, I think, and this is why I think it's, it's, it's unwise to dismiss the concerns of Gen Zers when they say, hey, we can't afford to buy a house. 
we can't afford our groceries. No, it's not because they have a Netflix subscription. It's because of inflation. It's because of the mismanagement of, of our country. And when you have a group of a, a, ma- a generation of young people who are that disillusioned, really bad things happen. Almost half of Gen Zers have a favorable, favorable view of socialism because they feel like they're struggling. People turn to alternative and sometimes very bad economic strategies to deal with the problems that they're facing uh, in, in, in their lives and, and, str- and, and trying to survive. And so I think to dismiss them and to say that they're just lazy and that they have too many Netflix accounts is, is, is really a, a stupid thing to do. Well, so a couple of points here. So one, a lot of these kids have been taught that socialism is beautiful. They've been taught that in commie camp, which is our education system. But there's another thing that happens. Uh, really smart communists and socialists in America have realized that if you can help collapse the system, yes. um, mm-hmm. people will be attracted to some radical change. So we've had a great capitalist, you know, uh, uh, democratic republic in this country that's worked really well. And these nut jobs want to change it. And the way you get people to buy into the change is collapsing the border, collapsing the currency, seeing sky high inflation. Convincing them that this, this this system actually doesn't work when in fact the reason it's not working is because they've begun to inject their collectivist, socialist, globalist ideas and policies into the system. And that is where we're seeing the negative impacts. I mean, half the problem, Sean, that we have in terms of why we've seen such a shift from the absolutely greatest, most record-breaking, awesome economy in our lifetime under Donald Trump before the uh, COVID, um, before COVID hit and, and to where we're at now is not because of COVID. That, that obviously put a, a, a hamper on some of the progress, but we were coming right back to it. And then Joe Biden was elected and they decided to wage a war on American energy. And so much of the inflation that we're seeing has to do with strangling, shutting down, and again, waging war on American energy. But as well as uh, the, the, the massive amount of money that's been spent and the continued you know, printing and borrowing of money has also... Donald Trump has some blame for the amount of money that was spent. But he is a, he is a minor leaguer compared to Democrats and how much they've spent. And so I guess my, my, my point comes back to, Evita, when you say there's almost half of, of Gen Zers uh, see socialism favorably. They haven't been taught the horrors of socialism and communism and the beauty of capitalism, number one. But also, they um, when they see a system collapse, housing is collapsing. Yeah. Uh, I'm being a little bit extreme uh, in my language. But when most average families can't buy a home right now because prices have skyrocketed, the reason that's happening is a lot of families don't want to sell their homes uh, and go from a 3% mortgage rate, which they have in their current home, to a 7% mortgage rate on a new home, so they're keeping their homes longer, so less homes come on the market, um, which are keeping prices high, as well as then the interest rates for these mortgages um, are at, what, a 25-year high. So that that's what's happening, and it's, a, and it's a collapse that gets, I think, young people to go, there has to be a better way. How do we have prosperity again? And they look for uh, these age-old arguments of socialism that have been tried for a long time and never work. So what's it, so so here we are. I mean, regardless of whether these Gen Zs and even millennials are genuinely all of it feeling all this pain or not, the reality is they they think they're feeling it. I think they're feeling it, frankly. 
uh, I do think opportunities are less than they were um, when we were younger. I do think it's harder to get ahead today than it was then. But regardless of whether it's uh, perception or reality, perception is reality. And the fact is that Joe Biden and Donald Trump, who are the two likely nominees, are going to have to deal with a generation of kids who are unhappy coming into this election. And I think it's really an interesting situation because, you know, I think the Democrats thought they had the youth vote locked in. And now we're starting to see some polling showing that Gen Z. And it's, I don't think it's because of the Palestinian situation. I, I think actually, I actually do. I think some of it is, I but I think a lot of it is they can't get ahead. It's both. It's both. So to, so tell me about why, why is it the, the Middle East? They are enraged over what's happening in Israel and Palestine. They, they, this is what they've learned all through school, right? We view everybody as oppressed or oppressor. And they have now created a movement around Palestine, making it synonymous with other movements in the United States, indigenous rights, black rights, women's rights. It's the same thing. Only now they've, they've blanketed in this language of, of, of genocide. Uh, and the, even if you look at what happened to Starbucks, Starbucks, uh, gave money to, to, I, I, I think it maybe perhaps was the, the families in Israel who were victimized. They, they did something to donate to, to the Israelis and they have lost like millions, if not billions in revenue. I, I mean, the numbers were astronomical of young yeah. people boycotting Starbucks because they were so angry about what, what it, what how, their support of Israel. They are enraged at Joe Biden as well for not calling for a ceasefire and any other Democrat who is they are disillusioned. And, and this is on top of the fact that young people didn't even like Joe Biden to begin with. They felt duped that he was a candidate and the Democrats have much more control over who they pick as their party nominee. The Republicans, for all of their problems, have a lot more say over. It's $11 billion of market value lost um, since the war in Gaza. Interesting. So, I, you know, so as you as you lay this out again, these these kids have been taught these radical ideas in our school system, no doubt. And that could be coming into play. By the way, I don't know if anger at Democrats or anger at Joe Biden is going to turn into votes for Republicans. I don't think it will turn into votes for Trump. But if they stay home. That's right. That's what's key. Yeah. I want to bring up a different a different point, though, kind of pushing back on this narrative that seventy four thousand dollars, you know, isn't you know, you're 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 struggling to get by. And here's the right, there, there is a different mentality where, you know, what your mom and I, uh, I got out of law school and uh, we didn't make there that much money at all. It was really, I mean, I think we qualified for. We, we qualified for welfare. For, we didn't take it because um, I never would do that. I don't believe in being had, dependent in any way. We just, we just decided we we're going to work harder and cut back. But And figure out ways to make money. But we had nothing. No, we were able to buy a house though. We bought a house. That house cost us in Hayward, Wisconsin, $65,000. I could probably buy a shed for that now. Right. Exactly. Well, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's fair. That's but my, fair. But my point is, I think that there, there's, there's something's wrong with, with these Gen Zers or Zillennials, as you call them, where they see people who are older than them that have worked hard, that have made not much money, that have put in the sacrifices, and they've climbed the economic ladder and they make more money now and they have more things. And a lot of Gen Zers are like, I think I should have that right now. I just no, got out of school no. a couple of years ago, but I want I want the house. I want the nice car. I want the vacation. I want the Starbucks and the dinner and the like, okay, but you know what? Someone who's, you know, 55 or 45 is in a different economic bracket than someone who is 
26 or 28. And, and oftentimes I think they believe, these young people believe that they should be the managers no, and the bosses no. and the high salaried employees. I don't, I don't know if that's true. What, I, what I'll say is if you look at inflation and if you look at the price of houses, they are not rising at the same rates. House, the, the cost of housing and land in this country has gone up astronomically more than, than wage increases and, and even has not kept up with inflation at all. It is, it's crazy. And the way to build wealth is really to own a home and to have assets. Gen Z cannot attain that and millennials cannot attain that. They're, if you, you actually can look at Gen Z's a little too young, but if you look at millennials, they, they are much older than boomers were when they were able to buy their first house or haven't bought a first house and boomers have. There is, there's a, there is a wealth disparity between these two groups that is undeniable. And it's not, it's not up to laziness. It's that, that, that there, there is a, there's a difference in our system. The American dream does not exist for the younger generations in the same way that it did for yours and your parents. I'll tell you one thing. Okay. I, I'm really torn. I, and, and, and I'm not trying to be Switzerland here, but I, I really, I feel a lot about what you're saying, Evita, is true. I mean, I, I looked at this stat. Um, in 2023, they had a survey of 10,000 workers that were Gen Z, and 40% of the Gen Z employees were working another job on the side. They had a side gig. Yep. Now, Sean, you were talking about when we were making, you know, total $30,000 a year for our, our little family when we first started out. And... um you had to do sidekicks. You were, you know, doing lumberjack shows and, and making little wood chairs to sell on the side um, so we could have some extra cash. So we were doing that kind of gig economy as well. I'll tell you what didn't exist that exists now with this generation is our words like or phrases like quiet quitting or, you know, this kind of mentality of, you know, I only want to work from home and explain what quiet, my quality of life and know what quiet quitting is. Uh, quiet quitting is, well, why don't you explain it? So when you're working your job and you're not going to actually go, hey, I'm giving you two weeks notice, I'm going to leave. You're just going to start, you know, not paying attention, maybe coming in late, not working hard at your job. So you're, quiet, your you're collecting your salary, but you're quietly just not doing the work that you're getting paid for. And eventually you're probably going to get fired, but you're quietly protesting the, the job that you have. And I've seen quiet quitting. Um, even at Fox, I've seen some of that happen. Uh, well, I've, I've seen quiet quitting too. Um, but you can, can I just make another... So first of all, sure. the, the, the TikTok video that we showed, um, this was in Miami. So Miami is not a cheap place to live either. So if you're listening and you're like, you're in Minneapolis or you're in rural America... Uh, uh, I'll just say this. Madison, Wisconsin has so much audacity for being as expensive and as crappy as a place to live as it is. I'm just, if you live in Madison, Wisconsin. That's so where you were living. I was, I don't live there anymore, but it was so expensive. And for what? It's a terrible place to live. The, the, the way that... Just, at least, at are, least Miami has some right to be expensive. Like if you're Minneapolis or Madison, Wisconsin, there's no right to be that expensive. Okay. Well, I'm not going to debate you know, debate that either. Yeah, don't, don't, yeah, again, it's Madison. I know it's crazy, radical, you know, commies, but it's still my home state. So stand down, Avita. We'll have more of this conversation after this. 
Since the 1970s, working-class Americans and U.S. investors who saved wealth in dollars have seen the dollar lose over 80% of its purchasing power. In contrast, investors who diversified their cash into gold saw gold appreciate over 5,000%. For Americans who invested $50,000 in gold when America left the gold standard in the 70s, their gold is worth more than $2.5 million today. While gold carries no guarantees and past performance does not equal future results, investors who do their own research will see that gold's performance over this time span is what gold has consistently done in the face of eroding paper currencies. For over 15 years, St. Joseph Partners has built its business with a singular focus on helping investors diversify their wealth and protect their families in physical gold and silver you hold in your hand. Don't let your hard-earned savings go unhedged. Call St. Joseph Partners or go to our joint website, kitchengold.net, not .com. That is kitchengold.net and protect your wealth. You can get a, uh, uh, you can get a loan through Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac that uh, you know, you're putting you know, 5 8 10% down um, as a new home buyer. Um, and you know, you're able to get into one of, the, one, of the, one of the best rates. It's guaranteed... Um, it's guaranteed by the federal government, which means you get then a, 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 a much lower rate, even though you're credit rating what? your house, your okay. mortgage. And so like, I know when we did it, when we went, we didn't, I didn't, I wasn't able to get a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. Start, the, the average loan. kid has $30,000 in, in student loans right now. I had way more than that. I know did you did. I know you did. I had 30,000 and he had like, like 80 or 90, like, almost a hundred thousand. Give me a break. From his law school. And so I I mean, and now all these kids haven't been paying student loans for how long because of COVID. And now they're talking about, you know, giving them loan forgiveness. Yeah. I mean, there's stuff on both sides. I'm sorry. It's true. Here's, here's what I see. Can I tell you what frugality matters? So, you know what, you got to, you got to cramp down on your budget. You got to spend less, you got to save more. And that kind of delayed gratification is going to work for every single American. I still believe that if you came here as an immigrant and you're actually, you can't speak the language, but you're paying houses, you can make it in America. You can save up and you but can- But it has become harder to be in the working no class and in the middle class and make it and get ahead and achieve the American dream. And so I think the question now is, what do you see, Evita, happening um, with the youth vote uh, moving into the 2024 election? So Trump is going to be the nominee and they hate him. I mean, there no nobody, Gen Z women in particular, they're like the the most radical demographic in America, and the men aren't that much better. What I think I think we can hope for is what Dad said that they stay home from the polls because they're so annoyed at what Joe Biden has done, and and their lives aren't aren't. So you don't see the the eco, their economic situation, which is deteriorating, being enough for them to go. You know what? I'm just going to vote for Trump. No, I don't. No, no, because you know, because they. What the problem is that they don't understand the roots of all their problems. They they think that the solution, if I don't, if I don't make a lot of money and I can't afford, you know, my rent payment, universal basic income. They're doing that in Canada right now. Their their solution to all of our problems is actually what the problem is. And so they look at Trump, who is offering an alternative, but not the one that they see as a solution. They say, no, you know, we, we, we don't, we don't want a Joe Biden. He's not enough for us. We want to go even more radical. We want to go to a Bernie Sanders. They're not voting for Trump. They're going to maybe potentially sit this one out to then go even more radical in the next election. But that, and that, that's the only, that's the only real, you know, upside to this whole situation. 
So I, I mm. I'm on the uh, bottom line last night, uh, my co-host Dagan uh, is off between Christmas and New Year. So Kelly O'Grady, she's a Fox business reporter. She sat in uh, with me and she went to Harvard. And I asked her in between the breaks, we had a Harvard segment, but it, it was Harvard as radical as, you know, we're reporting that it is right now. Is it as leftist as it is? And um, I don't think I'm throwing her under the bus. I think she's okay with me telling the conversation that we had. She said, well, I think that the real cutoff was when in 2016, when Donald Trump was elected they and that Hillary Clinton, you know, they all thought she was going to win. She didn't. They were losing their minds. And again, you guys will all recall this. Many schools let kids not come in the next day after the election yes. because they were probably mentally stressed because Donald Trump had won. Mm-hmm. Well, they had a, I think they had a, she said they had a forum at Harvard where they wanted to allow people to speak about what happened. Um, and they're all like, again, outraged as students that Donald Trump won. But one kid from Canada, I guess, stood up and was like, I, I can't vote in America. But I love Donald Trump and made the case for why he thought Donald Trump was so great. So one kid with one different point of view at Harvard in this forum, said I would have voted for Trump. He turned out to be Canadian. And he was Canadian, but got skewered by everybody at Harvard that he dared to have a different opinion. And that's a problem. Again, so it was like if, East Chicago. They're literally fascists. I, I, I cannot explain how horrible it was. Explain that, because I think people want to uh, understand. There is, when they say there's an orthodoxy on campus, there is, you say anything in the classroom, People, there's like snide, there's like snide comments, dirty looks, people then getting upset and, and, and fighting you. Like you're not allowed to have civil discussions in the classroom. Uh, there's, there's, there's one opinion, but then on a social level, everybody that you're surrounded with is a leftist. And if you are not one, it's not just that, oh, she has a different opinion. I don't agree with her. It's that actually you're a bigot and you, you're you a po- hater. You pose a, cause, cause and this is also really weird. So many young people identify as LGBTQ and they're not LGBTQ. Most of them are bisexual and they're actually just straight and they want to seem like they're cool. So they're all, they all say that they're LGBTQ. And if you vote for Trump or if you're a conservative, they say you're a threat to their existence. You're actually somebody who wants to see them dead. Like that. And that's what they're fed through the Democrats, right? That, that Republicans are trying to literally destroy them. Exterminate you. Yeah. They, they think that you're like, it, it, it would, it would be like, I'm I'm a I'm a Jew in Nazi Germany, and they think that I'm I, or that there are Jews in Nazi Germany, and I'm trying to actually eradicate them. You're not. They're, which, they're by, that radical. They which, which, by the way, is not true at all. However, that's their mentality against the Jewish people right now. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's outrageous, yeah, right there. Fascinating. But what's interesting is Evita was at University of Chicago, which claims to be a free speech um, college. They have the Chicago Doctrine principles, or principles um, which is supposedly among all the elite universities in America, this is supposed to be the template. Yeah, the the one that has the most free speech and diversity of thought. And this is your experience. So just imagine what it's like at Yale. And they they also they also have something called the Calvin Court, which says that the the university administration is not allowed to impose any sort of politics or ideology on the students, which they did during BLM. They violated their own report that they created. So they they are not they are not pro free speech. They are not going to not impose ideology on the students. What I will say in defense of my university is that because of the Calvin report and because of the Chicago principles, they attracted some students who thought that they were going to get like the Hillsdale of, of Chicago or something. And, and actually there were really good, smart, conservative libertarian students that I met 
created the Chicago Thinker with. It would not have been possible at other schools because we were all kind of duped into thinking this was a free speech university and went there. So there's this minority of really strong students who could have gone to Harvard. They could have gone to Princeton or Stanford. They're like, you know what? I'm going to pick you Chicago because of its commitment to free speech. And so there was this this minority of really strong-willed, really good good people at the university that I don't think are at the other Ivy Leagues. But that's not because of the university itself. It's almost in spite of them. So yeah. we're, we're laying out, um, again, we're having a conversation about about how much people make and their viewpoint on what you can buy with, with $74,000 as a young person. And the answer to that problem for young people is more more socialism, more government, um, the train to communism. And we brought it back to this isn't universities. This is what they've been taught. And so, I, again, I, I, I always think we need to talk about solutions. And there's so much power in Washington. It's been so centralized there. But the one place you actually still have a lot of power is in your states and your state education system. And if we had more governors and more legislatures that said, not in our state, we are not going to do this here. We will We'll go to war with the university system in our state. We will defund you. We will take all your money away. We will have that fight or you're going to take out these radical ideas. You're going to treat, you're going to teach a true history of America. You're going to you're gonna teach Johnson. a true history um, of capitalism and socialism and communism. And if you don't, our, we're not going to make our taxpayers fund this radical indoctrination. That can happen at a state level. And I, I, I'm disappointed. Ron DeSantis has one university that he took over in in Florida where they're doing this. Uh, Chris Rupo is on the board of that of that university in in Florida. But I don't, I'm I'm so shocked and surprised that more legislators, more governors that are conservatives, aren't doing more to root this crazy. Which is listen, this is the death of America. This is the death of the of of the of of the idea of what we have been it's going to change moving forward because of these school systems and that we don't have legislators and governors stepping in to save us i'm like I'm, that, that so blows my mind say, let me say what the bare minimum is getting rid of dei that, i was just gonna say dei is the problem it, it's so easy and it's and, it, and it's actually not only it's, is it unethical it's potentially dei's diversity equity and, equity and inclusion which by the way the President, is, the president of Harvard that's now under fire because she she's a diversity hire. She's well, Claudine Gay, who plagiarized Carol Swain's work, um, first came under fire because she couldn't bring herself to say that, you know, genocide calls for genocide among protesters at Harvard University, so among Harvard University students, you know, should be condemned. And then the spotlight was on her and they found out that she was plagiarized a lot of her so-called academic work. She's under fire. She doesn't call it DEI. She calls it DIB, diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Okay. Diversity, inclusion, belonging. But I should say this. She's under fire for her job. And here's the moment of hope that I think is existing. I think people are starting to come onto the system and starting to, um, they're, 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 they're opening up their eyes. She's about to get fired. She's under a, she's on the hot seat. And who has come out to defend her? Barack Obama. Oh, my God. Those are big guns. Barack, Barack, Obama. Barack Obama has come out to defend her. Th- that, those are big guns. That shows you that the system is beginning to crack, that you need Barack Obama to save your job as this, you know, she's clearly not qualified. She's clearly not intelligent enough to have that position at Harvard. She plagiarized another black woman's work. Um, she, she, she has no morals, no ethics. This, 
Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say the, 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 the big the big argument against DEI is that it is institutionalized racism. The DEI departments are the ones where they bring in all the kids and and have these pointless diversity lectures before they start school. They're the ones that have black only dorms, black only convocations. These are these are the institutions that have have institutionalized not only racism, but actually cultural Marxism on yep. campus. They've they've made the universities not an institution of truth, truth seeking where we can debate and discuss and explore different ideas, but instead they implement an orthodoxy on campus. There is one idea. And if you do not accept this this DEI programming, then you are a bigot. And you should be ideas destroyed. are and they've twisted words. I mean what they've done is they've taken word equity is a great word. It's not about equality. Equity is just a, a, is an affirmative action term. It means equal, e- equal outcomes. Um, but everything that that they do, I mean, even the, the idea that in medical schools now you can't teach biological sex because it's not even that the teachers don't want to do it. The teachers know that they will get that feeling that you said you had in your classroom of all these students, you know, ganging up on anyone who has a different point of view. In this case, biology teachers trying to teach biological, scientifically based, you know, sex, gender sex that we all know exists, will get their own students will organize against them. And so they're walking on thin ice talking about basic scientific facts. The whole system is based on lies. And what Anti- we, yeah, and, and so I what, talked what, about this what did last night. Based on a yeah, you're sitting on a throne of lies. Remember, I know (laughs) you sit when he told Santa Claus, you sit on a throne of lies. Well, that really very much describes uh, most of our universities and these. You know, in communist countries, the, the the school system was run by the state, and though the lies that the state wanted to tell were enforced, you know, through the state into the school system. And people would turn out little commies who believed the lies of the state. In this case, it's really the system, hard to deprogram that. It, it is very hard to deprogram that. Very few resisted. I mean, you saw even with COVID, all the COVID lies. It was probably five percent of us, the three of us in this uh, in this conversation, by the way, survived the greatest mass psyop in modern history, which was the entire We're COVID. Proud of that too. I'm, proud of, I'm that. proud of that too. But the the truth is, you know, five ten percent of the population could see through this. And the rest were sheep who who went along with all the lies being told. In our university system, it is, you know, university administrators of which, by the way, Harvard, they have over 7,000 administrators. Those are not teachers. These are administrators. Yale has more administrators than students. Okay. That is so gross. And and you think that's the cause of a lot of it. Oh, it's, it, it's a major cause. So first of all, Administrators make schools more expensive. That's that's my my main beef with them. But the administrators also make life more difficult. If you want to like dual enroll in a course, if you want to take an independent study, you got to go through like five different administrators. Colleges used to be run by the professors and the students. There was no administration, but the administrators are also part of the DEI programs, part of the COVID protocol, right? Where they where they basically enslave students during COVID, had them live under this just utter tyranny, not allowed to visit each other in, in dorm rooms, had to take out lunches, uh, had, I mean, literally they destroy the university. Some were so, quarantined. Some students were quarantined so, okay. and they're not academics. They're just bureaucrats. Okay. So listen, I, I want to go back to this point on the state control. So the Supreme Court came out 
uh, with a decision that said um, affirmative action is unconstitutional. So you can't just allow people into your university based on the color of their skin. Just like the Supreme Court said that Joe Biden couldn't forgive student loan debt. Joe Biden four times now has gone around the Supreme Court decision to forgive student loan debt to the tune of like $52 billion. But also, um, universities are also getting around the Supreme Court trying to find tools in which they can still keep affirmative action in place. Despite the Supreme Court. Despite the Supreme Court's ruling. So you talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion and rooting it out. I agree with both of you. Also, affirmative action has already been rooted out. But you almost need massive oversight within these universities to make sure this is completely gone. Or what you have to do is, again, the, the, the whole system is rotten. But if Cut you can change, state funding. If you can change the top, if you can change the leadership, that really is the start. Because then the leadership can start to pluck out and pull out um, all of the people who will not comply with what the legislature and governor has said the university is going to have to do. And you can start to fire people. Um, but short of that, um, this country's doomed. It really is because you, you can't you can't pump out little Marxists, little communists and think that you're going to have a free enterprise system in America. It's not going to happen. And that's what that's the system that we have now. And we're, we're seeing the beginning, the beginnings of the consequences of not stopping this out 20 years ago. And we're all waking up and we're all shocked. There's still time, but not much time to well, fix this. So one of the best ways to fix this is is for Donald Trump to win in 2024. And I guess that comes back down. But my, my, my only concern with that is, is Donald Trump thinking through I think so. who he needs to put in place to take a wrecking ball to what they've, with this craziness they built? I'm not sure yet. Uh, here's, uh, uh, here's why I think they know that he and the people around him know what to do, Sean. The amount of effort, lawfare, lies, the weaponization of government to take him down is such that they understand that in his second term, he is a bigger threat. His eyes are wide open. I believe he's going to fix it. Bottom line is, if he does not win and Joe Biden or whoever they put in his place wins, we're all screwed. Let's just be honest. The activists, attorneys and judges is directly correlated to the Marxism that they get in school. Marxists do not believe in truth or protocol. They believe in doing anything that they can. The ends justify the means. Right. Always. They will they will commit any kind of atrocity, destroy any kind of norms or 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 value systems that we have in order to achieve their Marxist goals. That's the problem that Trump's facing right now. And that's why it's directly related to the school system. Yeah, this is all related. Um, and again, that's why this election is so important. That's why this fight is so important. Um, I, this, I, that's why I, I, this, this is a theme we have in our podcast because all of us have to work together. You can't sit back and think someone else is going to fight the fight for you. It's all of us working together to root um, this cancer out of our system. Um, listen, I, and we're, I, this is a great conversation. We have a Vita home. Um, over the the Christmas holiday, all the uh, kids are home. This all the kids are still home. Yes, They're but awesome. all of them are not on the podcast. Just Evita. So we appreciate <laughs> we appreciate that. Listen, I want to thank you all, and Vita, thank you as well for joining us on uh, the podcast from the kitchen table. If you like our podcast, you can rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Uh, you can always find us at foxnewspodcasts.com. Uh, Evita and I are flying out today. We're going to my dad's. 90th birthday party, your grandpa's 90th birthday party tomorrow. 
Uh, all the Duffers are going to be there. We're looking forward to it. It's going to be a blast. Uh, so we're going to figure out how we do Q&A tomorrow. It's going to be interesting. We're going to figure that out. I'm going to be on the five on Friday and then I'll be hosting Fox and Friends Saturday, Sunday and Monday. Uh, so tune in, for, tune, in. tune in for that. We're going to we're going to do uh, steaks on I, this. Rachel's done uh, New Year's Eve special for like the last four years. So mm-hmm. I get her home on on New Year's Eve. We're going to do steaks, fake champagne and a lot of kids. So it's going to be fun. We want to wish you all uh, we'll talk to you before podcast tomorrow, but want to wish you all a happy new year if we don't. Uh, Keep enjoying that Christmas season. It's still here, still upon us. Just the season, but not the food. Because you're like me, you're eating way too much. So you got to ramp that down. But Christmas <laughs> spirit stays alive and well. Thank you, Vita. Thank you, Rachel. All right. Hi, everybody. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.